0: Welcome to the Spirit World, answering your questions on angels, demons, and how the spiritual and physical worlds interact. And now, your hosts, Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly.
1: Well, hello there, and welcome to The Spirit World. Oh, we have been looking forward to this episode of The Spirit World, where we are going to be discussing the mystical aspects of the Mass. We do need you to stay tuned in the entire hour, and we are live today, so we are taking your calls at 877-757-9424. I'm Debbie Giorgiani with Religious Demonologist and co-host Adam Bly. Hello. Adam and I know we're going to begin with the Saint Michael prayer
2: every time in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Saint Michael the archangel defend us in battle be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil may God rebuke him we humbly pray and do thou o prince of the heavenly host by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls amen in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay, so here's how today's um, episode is going to work. We're going to do a teaching on the first, um, kind of going into the second segment of the spirit world, and then we'll take your calls on the Mass. And what we're looking for um, by way of calls is your experience of uh, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, um, your en- encounters with uh, other parishioners about the Mass and what you talk about. You know, that's very important. Your understanding of of the Holy Mass, um, the Eucharist, we're in the midst of the the second year of the Eucharistic revival, and it it pertains to our parishes, our parish life. That's very important, so that's why we're doing this show. And we want to talk about any maybe mystical uh, experiences you've had as you have participated in mass. So the mystical aspects of the mass, that's what we're discussing today on the spirit world. And you'll see how this uh, weaves into the work that Adam does in the exorcism ministry work. And you'll see in in the work that I do uh, by way of uh, my study of angels. Okay, so you'll see how it all weaves into that because we talk about angels and demons and everything in between. So we need you to stay tuned in for this teaching portion and then we'll move to the calls. If you'd like to uh, be one of our callers today, please start dialing right now because Carol will answer your call. She's delightful to talk to, and uh, she will chat with you for a few minutes, uh, put you on hold, and you'll get to listen live. The number to dial is 877-757-9424. Okay, you can start dialing. And uh, Adam, go ahead, take it away. I'm excited about this. I think this could be a spiritual game changer for so many that are listening to the spirit world today.
2: So we're going to start with the Gospel of John. We're going to start in the uh, John 6. It's called the Bread of Life Discourse, and we really need to start with Scripture, as, as we basically always do. So I'm going to read a little bit of scripture, you know, fairly quickly because we don't have a lot of time, but it's so critical to hear what Jesus said. Okay, so starting at John 6:49, Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying... Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. And then it goes on to describe how a lot of people were kind of scandalized by this and didn't understand what he was saying, and so many of the potential disciples left, and the 12 that remained became the 12 apostles. Any thoughts on that, Deb?
1: They, they, were, um, they walked away. They couldn't accept this understanding. Why do, you, why, do you think, why do you think they were so scandalized? Why do you think it, it, it offended them so much?
2: I think because like with so many things in the salvation story, until you see the whole story, and you know with the Bible we always interpret things in the context of the rest of the Bible, until you see the whole story and see the institution of the Mass at the Last Supper and the eating of the physical regular bread at the Last Supper Supper that Jesus describes, and then we see how the Mass is part of the early church and even how Paul's letters reference the Mass until we get all of that. At the time, they just said, "What does he mean? Literally eat his blood, uh, his his flesh and blood?" Mm-hmm. Uh, that would, you know, to them, without that context of seeing the whole st- the whole story like we do, you know, it, it would sound like cannibalism. They they were not understanding that it was, yes, the Eucharist is body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, but in a veiled form. That is the host. There is the spiritual reality there. And even a physical reality in Eucharistic miracles, but they didn't yet understand any of these things. And so I think, you know, it was, it was too much for a lot of them to understand.
1: Right, right. That mystical, that spiritual reality um, was so overwhelming to them. And it it, it went against everything they were they believed, um, and they were trained to believe. And so it was a hard thing to to um, comprehend and also um, get through. And so because of that, um, you know, they walked away, they rejected, they rejected portions of it. So please continue. This is
2: excellent. So let's jump ahead to Luke 22 and read a little bit from the Last Supper. Luke 22:14. When the hour came, he took his place at table with the apostles. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I shall not eat it again until there is fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, gave thanks and said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you that from this time on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, and he said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which will be given up for you. Do this in memory of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which will be shed for you. Mm -hmm. It gives me... I know it sounds silly but it gives me chills reading that. Um
1: because of the word covenant, new covenant?
2: No, just the whole thing. Okay. The whole thing. Okay.
1: Are you going to tap into covenant though? You'll 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 touch mm-hmm. upon that. Okay. Good.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the idea of covenant is so important that, you know, from the Jewish perspective at the time, covenants were often linked with sacrifice. And a covenant is essentially kind of a contract or an agreement with God. And various covenants were made over time of different types with the Jewish people. So they understood covenant. Uh, but this is an eternal covenant, you know, and that's made clear elsewhere elsewhere in the Gospels. This is a final and eternal covenant that is being established between Jesus, the Father and us. Okay, so, you know, let's take a quick footnote on the in memory of me, Deb, because one thing we were talking about before the show is this is a real stumbling block for a lot of people. Um, And we don't have time to dive super deep, but um, there's there's different translation issues with the in memory of me. And, you know, as you had mentioned, um, some people have looked at that and said that that may mean more uh, for me to become present to you in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We we see other references to Jesus Christ made present in the Mass. And so it's the understanding of those words, uh, it's more than just doing it as like a remembrance of the Last Supper. It's It's a participation in the Last Supper in the sense that the Mass is an eternal event. It's not an event that only happened once. It has permanent and eternal consequences through time. And so, um, you know, and his passion and death on the cross, his resurrection, the whole salvation story has eternal consequences through time. So it is more than just a memorial, but it's an actual participation in Calvary and the resurrection, which we'll get mm-hmm. to. I know it's so much, Deb. Um, but we're, we're touching on things and hopefully people will, will explore themselves later. Okay. Another footnote here for our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters: Catechism 2174. Why do we do this on Sunday as opposed to the Sabbath on Saturday, which some people have argued down through the years? Well, Sunday is considered the Lord's Day because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead, died on the cross on Friday, descended into hell, hell you know, harrowed hell, brought the souls that were that were just to heaven, uh, seated at the right hand of the Father, is risen. Uh, moves among the apostles, uh, and then ascends. So Sunday is the day that he rose, and it's the first day of the new creation that Jesus has created by completing the salvation story. So we're celebrating the resurrection because we want to participate in the resurrection. We want to be drawn into the resurrection with Jesus, and instead of dying, attain the eternal life with him in heaven. Okay. Now, the, the Mass was part of the church from the very beginning, and we can see this in, in many places, but one place I want to touch on is First Corinthians 11, and this is Paul writing to the Christian community in Corinth, and he writes about a number of things. Um, Paul is often kind of correcting different communities and giving them guidance on issues. So first thing Paul does is he describes the Last Supper for them, and he reminds them about the Last Supper, and Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. And that's where we're going to leave off and jump back in after the break.
1: Okay, that sounds great. This is phenomenal. Okay, please tell all your friends about the spirit world. Actually, call in today at 877-757-9424 as we are discussi- discussing, <laughs> discussing, folks, the mystical aspects of the Mass. And please, we want you to join us here on The Spirit World. We'll be right back.
3: Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm hi this is coach felicity with stand tall today coaching minute many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm too many things to take care of too many people to please too much work to do and in spite of their best efforts they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood but that's not the abundant life that jesus wants you to live This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute.
4: A while back, I had a nice little chat with some Jehovah Witness ladies, and they tried to justify their claim to be Christian by saying the early Christians didn't believe Jesus was God. Is this true? Well, of course not. Let me share a few examples. Take John 1.1, 1, 1, where John describes Jesus as the Word and writes the Word was God. Now, in order to get around this, the JWs translate the phrase as the Word was a God. But this is based on a misunderstanding of Greek grammar. Consider also Colossians 2.9, where St. Paul writes, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In 1 Corinthians 8.6, Paul describes Jesus as the one through whom we exist. Isn't God the one ultimately responsible for the existence of things? So, contrary to what the JWs think, to be Christian, you must believe Jesus is God. I'm Carlo Brusard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
0: The Spirit World Continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. If you have a question for the show, Call 877-757-9424 or email TSW at grnonline.com.
1: Okay, we're so glad you joined us uh, here on The Spirit World. By the way, you guys, you are really expanding the Facebook family at The Spirit World. So thank you so much. We're trying to cross a thousand likes and followers. um, So if you could go to Facebook at The Spirit World Podcast and li- and like us there that would really help us. Um we try to go really fast on this show and we we have had a lot of comments come in that um you guys want us to do an after show or a second hour. Well, we're praying about it, but um it's 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 really tough to fit into a beautiful lineup that's on the radio already. So, um we're trying to uh, pack it all in in this quick hour. That's why we we talk real fast and move real quickly through the calls. We are getting calls right now, so that's great, and questions coming in. If you'd like to join, there is um, a a little bit of room for you right now, and here's the number, 877-757-9424. We are discussing the uh, mystical aspects of the Mass, and we left off with the great saint paul, so i I almost hesitated uh, i I did stop for a moment. I thought we cannot cut off what you have to say about paul 's writings, but we did, and now you 'll pick up Adam thank you
2: yeah, so we 're going to rejoin Paul in first corinthians eleven and and basically it 's kind of verse twenty three onward i 'm kind of summarizing, so uh, we left off where he reminds the the community in Corinth to eat this um, to eat the mass the last the recapitulation of the last supper and remembrance of him but he goes on to basically describe that this is really our way to participate in the new covenant that Jesus made and to accept the gift that Jesus has given us this gift of eternal life that he has given through going back to the the bread of discourse the bread of life discourse um it's a way to to accept that and participate in That covenant and to receive the gift of eternal life now he also touches on something important and and this is a a harder one for a lot of us but he also says if we take the eucharist unworthily we eat, eat and drink god's judgment on ourselves and he says you know how do we avoid that he said we need to first off discern the body of Jesus and what we are doing, meaning we need to discern that this truly is the body of Jesus that we're approaching. Secondly, we need to dis- discern our sins, basically our, our unworthiness, and make sure we don't approach it in an unworthy way. How do we take care of that? And this is something Deb and I were talking about. For the venial sins, the ones that aren't mortal sins, the penitential rite that's part of the mass, the confiteor. Those are taking care of the venial sins. Do those sincerely. Mortal sins really should be confessed before Mass. And, you know, in terms of the idea of confessing kind of as a penitential prayer between you and Jesus and committing to go to confession later... Um, that's some things that some some bishops or pastors allow that idea. So I would just say go to your pastor about that if if you're thinking along those lines. But if at all possible, it's best to go to confession, you know, participate in the sacramental graces. Okay, so we see that Jesus prepares us at the very beginning of his ministry. He says, you know, the body and blood needs to be eaten. This is me. I am the new covenant. You need to consume me. At the Last Supper, he, you know, basically goes through that act and describing the blood as as his blood, des, uh, describing the wine as his blood, describing the bread as his body. And this is a way to consume him. It's not in a cannibalistic, gross way, but in a veiled way behind the bread and wine. Okay. So all of this is, you know, leading up to the Mass today that we celebrate. A few summary things that, w- that we can say about the Mass in general for, for us Catholic Christians. Uh, It's a way to be obedient to what Jesus commanded us to do in the bread of life discourse. It reminds us of the covenant that Jesus made for us with his father through his death and resurrection. And it reminds us of our participation and being drawn into that and wanting to be drawn into that and participate in that. It'll, and that participation is now, Deb. You know, some people look at the Mass as like, of, oh, this is just a reminder or it's looking back. But no, it's actually looking for the grace now, because grace has come to us as we participate in the Mass now. And any grace that we need is coming to us. And it's a way to attain what he promised in the Bread of Life discourse. Okay. And then finally, the Mass As we go through, it is a way to proclaim that the passion and death of Jesus happened because it's a reminder of the night before he suffered and the way he framed his suffering and his death. But it's also a proclamation of his resurrection that happened on the day, the main day that we celebrate Mass, which which is Sundays. We can go to Mass every day. Certainly we have to go on days of obligation too. Okay, so all that to lead up to why is it mystical? Well, first off and most critically, right, Christ is made present. In the Mass, what can be more mystical than, the, than a, a particular and special presence of God? God is everywhere. It's not like he's missing until the Mass happens, but he is there in a particular way in the Eucharist that allows us to directly interact with him in a physical way. Secondly, the Mass is mystical because only a priest can do it. Only a, a properly ordained priest can affect the transubstantiation of bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. This is why, Deb, we need priests, and every generation needs to be praying that the Father send more priests in the world, that the Father inspire vocations in the world. And, and um, you know, without the priests, there, there cannot be a Mass. And so I, th- I think for all of us, uh, that needs to be one of our regular prayers. It's also mystical because miracles happen during Masses sometimes. There's over 150 approved Eucharistic miracles that have happened either during the Mass or after the Mass with uh, consecrated bread or wine. And those are, you know, they take different forms. Um, uh, the bread becoming actual heart tissue, cardiac tissue has happened a number of times. The wine becoming actual blood. Um, there's many different forms of Eucharistic miracles, um, and, and those can be explored. You know, you, you can just do a simple search later and explore that, or maybe we'll post some resources on Facebook. Okay. And finally, just as a, as a final thing to remember, when Jesus said, whoever receives you, meaning his followers, receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me, which is his Father. Mm -hmm. So really the core of the mystical aspect of the Mass is the presence of Jesus Christ in this this special and particular way, and our ability to receive him, and through him receive the Father, be with him in the Father, all of it. Um, It's... (laughs) It, it's beyond words, Deb, and, it, and it's difficult to sum up quickly. And then, you know, outside of that, we can explore different areas, the angelic presence at the Mass, you know, the role of the angels in the Mass that we don't necessarily see, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the assistance to the poor souls in purgatory, that Masses mm-hmm. are offered for particular poor souls usually, right? True. Sure. So it, there's a bunch of kind of ways you can go from there, but I just wanted to sum up here, um, you know, moving from the bread of life and through the presence of Jesus. And just on a personal note, you know, for myself and my own journey at this point, uh, it's one of the places that is the most kind of intense and peaceful places of prayer for me is the couple minutes after communion. So when I go either on my way back to go sit down and then kneel or while I'm there, for myself, this is just me, I don't necessarily talk in my mind or say prayers out loud or even say prayers in my mind. I just try to be quiet and listen to God in my heart to whatever extent that I, mm-hmm. I might be inspired by something. I'm not saying I literally hear God talking or anything like that, but it's a it's a particularly close time with Jesus. Yeah,
1: an intimate time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and and very you know,
1: personal to you. Everybody's going to have a different mm-hmm. experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um you know, and and the last thing to say on on these kind of miraculous events that happen around the mass is, we shouldn't necessarily say that that we we demand that or want that, but we should prepare ourselves for it. You know, we we can't force God to give us mystical experiences, nor should we try to, but we can prepare the way for it. We can we can prepare ourselves, try to be well disposed, as they say, uh, to receive those things. So. Right. Um, you know, and, and one, one side note that kind of touches on the ministry I'm involved in, because I've, I've dealt with false mystics and false miracles. One side note for people that, that are encountering this stuff is God is a God of order, not disorder. And if anybody is disrupting the mass or distracting from the mass or mm-hmm. immediately after while res- people are receiving communion, that's not of God, because God doesn't disrupt or distract or throw chaos into a situation where he is interacting with us in personal communion. And as we just said, you know, I, I'm aware of cases around the world where supposed um, good things are going on, but they're actually disrupting the mass. And so this is not something generally that priests tolerate or are allowed to continue or kind of hijack the mass and put the, put the uh, the attention and focus on this person who's, pretending to have a mystical experience or maybe they're having a strange experience. Right. Um, but that's not an ordered thing. That's not a good Mm -hmm.
1: thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a couple comments on, uh, the things that you shared with us today. Um, First, I want to encourage our listeners of the spirit world, please, we we, um, issue challenges and some homework. Why? Because we want you to go deeper and deeper and deeper. God wants all of us. Okay, so the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1322, um, through 1419, okay? And no, it's like almost 100 paragraphs, but some of the paragraphs are only two senten- sentences long. Um, so 1322 to uh, through 1419 is all about the Eucharist. Um, the celebration of the Christian mystery. That's the title of that area of the catechism. Okay. So we're talking about mystery, it being mystical, this, this very deep side that, um, that we can enter into. Remember, we're, we're body. And, uh, spirit soul composite, right? So you, so we want to enter into it completely. So it's not just about you, um, being a, an observer. It's not just about you receiving something. It's about you having your, um, your, um, heart opened to the mass and your, and your, your soul spirit being changed, transformed through the graces that when you enter into this mystery. And so there's a couple comments I want to make about that. And then also about John six, um, I want to, um, uh, share with our listeners that the diocesan, uh, websites all around the country and even around the world are posting some really great articles, um, w- during the, these three years of the Eucharistic revival. Please check out your diocesan websites because your, your bishops, your shepherds are posting some great stuff. Archbishop Aquila just did a, a piece for, um, um, Catholic news agency, I believe. Uh, we're going to post that. So we have resources we're going to post. Uh, Father Chris Alar did a fabulous, uh, video, two parts on understanding the faith, understanding the mass. We are going to post Father Chris Alar's, Actually, I should say our wonderful producer, Taylor Van Est is going to post everything on our Facebook page, um, the, at the Spirit World podcast. So Father Chris Alar has a, a fantastic, uh, two part video on understanding the Mass. Monsignor Pope, everybody loves Monsignor Charles Pope, okay? beautiful blog post on it so you've got all this around you rich understanding and resources folks please the challenge Adam and I are issuing this challenge to you go deep with your families each and every weekend when you can gather the whole family together and share uh, the truths of our faith okay you hear the music we're going to take another uh, quick break when we come back Adam and I will go to the phones please join this growing list of callers at 877 757 9424 we'll be right back
4: When you find yourself peering into life's rearview mirror, wondering if your past will forever define you, it doesn't have to. Go to StandTallToday.com and register for your absolutely free consultation with one of our world-class life coaches. They can help you get started on a plan forward to living your best life. There's nothing to lose and an entire future to gain. Log on to StandTallToday.com for complete details. That's StandTallToday.com.
3: This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. If you're looking for a gift to give your spouse that's not fattening or expensive, listen in. This is one of the most precious things you have, but you can give it to them every day. Do you know what it is? Your time. Do you have time every day where you and your spouse check in and connect together? If you don't, start brainstorming right now about when you can fit it in. Maybe when you both arrive home, you could take a few minutes to step in private just to ask how our day was. Maybe it's getting a few minutes earlier in the morning to make coffee together. It doesn't need to be long, but it does need to happen every day. If you and your spouse are ships passing in the night during a busy season of life, take at least five minutes alone to hug, talk, check in and connect. A successful marriage is made up of little things like this. Commit to having a daily connection with your spouse. It may turn out to be the most important gift you've ever given. To find out more about connecting with your spouse, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org.
0: Spirit World continues with Debbie Georgiani and Adam Bly. If you have a question for the show, call 877-757-9424 or email tsw at grnonline.com.
1: Okay, I think I can speak for the whole show team. Adam and I, uh, we talk about this often, um, uh, Tim and Carol and Taylor. Uh, this show moves way too quickly. Okay. We can't even keep up with it with the comments that are coming in, the calls that are coming in. Um, it's amazing. So we're going to try to move very quickly through the calls, but before we get to Pat and it's the day of Rachel's today, we got two Rachel's back to back. This is so exciting. And then other calls coming in. Carol's doing a fine job. Thank you, Carol. Uh, we will go quickly through the calls, but I was correct. I'm so happy. I did one thing. Correct. This weekend, Adam, it is Catholic news agency. Uh, the Archbi- our Archbishop um, Samuel Aquila from Denver, amazing archbishop, a great leader. Um, and he posted an article um, on the Eucharist, excellent article. Uh, it is Monsignor Charles Pope for the blog that we're going to post and also Father Chris Alar's two-part video series. But I wanted to share real quickly about I just I just randomly went to a diocesan website, Adam, and I just lifted a couple things that our shepherds, our bishops, are saying. And, and this is just an excerpt from one of the uh, diocesan sites, and it was talking about, you know this concept uh, do this in memory of me you know the, the John six and this whole understanding of what it means um uh, during the mass and this is what uh, this one site said, and I, this is why it's important, folks that we really read what our um, shepherds are posting because this can help us enter into a deeper understanding and a very emotional understanding. You know, Adam, you could hear it in Adam's voice. You could hear it in my voice. We started to get very emotional about this. Why? Because this is very near and dear to our our our. Why we do the work we do in the ministry work. It's very it's very intense for us, um, but. This particular diocesan website talks about jesus 's words in memory of me and this and this bishop goes on to say and they're like they are like god 's word once spoken it is when God acts in history, his action never ceases to be Jesus is one one in being with the Father, and thus his actions and they 're talking about like um, um, uh, Holy Week his actions that holy week never ceases to be that's how the mass can be holy thursday good friday and easter sunday all at once it's all present folks it's real it's when heaven and earth meet it's right it's not something like in this this distant memory that's not the same concept it's present because once spoken it is it, it never changes it's all there i think it's that is that is fascinating and you know so many of these blogs and articles we miss them we overlook them because we're moving in such a fast-paced society slow down just a little bit and really read some of these things because it can really be i believe a spiritual game changer adam any comments or are you ready to move to the phones
2: oh i just wanted to share just super briefly you know it's very um moving to talk about these things um it, it is an emotional experience and and for me at least deb it's because with the work that i do and and the stuff jesus has allowed me to to see and participate in but the work i do like yesterday you know i was at four different exorcisms and i i see the reality of all this it's really real it isn't an armchair philosophical debate jesus is real and he saves people and wants to bring them out of darkness and back to himself. And the Eucharist is always kind of the goalpost that they are inevitably drawn towards, whether they're not Christian, whether they're Protestant. Uh, we don't proselytize or try to convert anybody, but they are inevitably drawn to the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And to even, you know, read words from Scripture that he said, you know, and, and to whatever extent that, he does something with people like that 's what I find overwhelming, so I just mm-hmm. wanted to say i 'm sorry for stumbling over some words, mm-hmm. but this stuff it 's so unbelievably important, and i don 't think we always necessarily realize how mm-hmm. important it is that's yeah
1: all. well and, and i'll let me go one step a, a little bit um, further in that direction in the religious education work. Um, that I dedicated most of my adult life to. Um, I used to hear all the time of folks being drawn into Holy Mother Church because of two aspects of our faith: confession and the Eucharist. And if you, and the interesting thing about both of those sacraments, right, is is what the the um, uh, our priests are in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. So mm-hmm. there you go. People are naturally drawn to Christ. Sure. I mean, so it make it so it's 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 absolutely beautiful when you think about it that way. We see this is why these concepts we don't delve into them um, too deeply because we're always going on to the next thing very quickly. That's why at the spirit world we're trying to take it layer by layer and go deeper and deeper. That's that's the, kind of the goal of the spirit world. So is that cool with you to go to the phones, Adam? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, Pat is first up, and Pat is in Toledo, Ohio, on our friends at Annunciation Radio. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for waiting, and welcome to the spirit world.
0: Thank you very much. My question is about the reading that you started out with from John. It talks about how Jesus said the ancestors ate manna in the desert, yet they died. He who eats my blood and or drink my flesh and blood will, will not die, but be raised on the last day. Does that mean the, that the ancestors, the Jewish ancestors, were are not raised?
2: Hmm, that's a really interesting question, Pat. Um, I would have to actually delve into that and, and try to research that. I I think that that is not the case, and here's the reason. Uh, our understanding is when Jesus died on the cross, the first thing he did was go to what they, they referred to as, sometimes they would refer to it as Hades if they were using in the Greek, right. or Ge- Gehenna if they were using uh, Hebrew, to all the souls that were righteous but had no access to heaven because Jesus hadn't opened the way yet. The first thing he did is he went down and he gathered those up and took them out of there to heaven. And so that would be the ancestors that were in the desert that ate the manna. Um, so I would, my guess would be without researching it right in this moment that it is a slightly different mechanism, but they have attained heaven through the righteousness and possibly our idea of purgatory would be the suffering that they endured, uh, waiting for Jesus to come, would have um, basically finished their process of purification. That's just a guess, uh, but it is a great question. Do you have mm-hmm. thoughts, Deb?
1: I do. Um, so, Pat, I would agree with Adam, but we can look into it um, after the show, and we could we could um, bring it up at the next mailbag um, open forum show, or you can you're welcome to call back, Pat, and you can revisit this. But I just wanted to say. You know, if you look at everything in um, Scripture, the New Testament, and what Jesus um, had spoken, He is constantly connecting the the um, Old Testament. He's constantly connecting. Uh, the Jewish roots and why does he do that? A lot of people, um, and I, and I learned this Pat, when I studied my graduate for my graduate degree in theology, I had a wonderful, um, biblical, um, uh, biblical studies, uh, professor and he was phenomenal. And he said, just always look for the connection. He's always trying to relate and connect and then fulfill. So relate, connect, and fulfill and if you notice even when jesus you know in in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross and and even during his his um his teaching with the people, he was constantly referring to the jewish psalms the the he w- constantly went back and connected, and people would actually try to dissect that and say, "Oh well, he meant this," and oh, he meant that it's not true because if you look at the whole thing in in, in its in its entirety you will understand that he is trying to fulfill he is trying and so and and he had to relate to them in a way that they could um understand it that's why he spoke in parables because it was so overwhelming um so i don't know if that helps any pat but that that i it so that's why lot. i would thank agree you. with adam yeah
2: thank Go you ahead, so pat. much mm-hmm. sure thing pat thank you
1: yeah Thank you. That's a great question. Thanks for holding like the whole half of the show. We tried to go as fast as we could, Pat, to get to you. So thank you. Thank you, sir. And please call us again, okay?
0: Great. Thanks a lot. Bye.
1: Mm -hmm. Have a great weekend. Thank you. That was a great um, question. Um, We have another question real quickly about um, Eucharistic miracles. And uh, this comes in real quickly. I just want before we get to the phones, Tim in Houston listening on Guadalupe radio says, um, how does the mystical uh, reality of the Mass relate to the physical Eucharistic miracles? Um, you touched upon it, Adam, and I just wanted to say, if, if, if folks want to dive deeper into the Eucharistic miracles that, that have manifested Manifested over the years, I would suggest uh, the book by Joan Carol Cruz, Eucharistic Miracles, and also go to the exhibit that Blessed Carlo Acutis um, prepared for all of us, where he um, gathered around. Even he, he gathered up so many of even the Eucharistic miracles that we never really even heard about. They were in remote areas. Um, and Adam is correct. You know, the thing about Eucharistic miracles, I will just say, if I may say this real quickly, Adam, I'm mm-hmm. on a roll today. I can feel it. Um, uh, I'm a little bit upset with all of us that we need a scientific miracle um, to kind of prove this. And it, it just it. I love that our Lord does that for us. But it's like, how many bricks do we have to take to the head before we realize this is for real? You know, mm-hmm. what, what do you say about that?
2: Well, I I think every in a sense every generation needs more of these signs. I think, you know, not only miracles but but the bad things that he allows in the world that are spiritual. They're they're all signs of the reality of the the spirit world. Um and he does that for our benefit. You know, he mentions that it's better uh to not seek a sign and believe. But it's okay to believe after having sought a sign and a miracle, which many people did when he was uh living on earth. So uh the Eucharistic miracles yeah they're 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 usually done if you look into them a lot of them are done when somebody's doubting. Yeah. And so it, it not only not only helps mm-hmm. the priest that's doubting or somebody there that's doubting but then it becomes a sign for the whole world right as it gets the the information goes out there. So um we're weak we're weak and I, and yeah. we 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 some you know, a lot of us need to see something. Sometimes we receive the grace to believe without seeing something. Um, but a lot of us, boy, mm-hmm. it has an impact. So I mean God is God is pursuing us in, in myriad ways is is what I'm getting mm-hmm. to. Um so And he's a very
1: loving God <laughs> and patient. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he's working on us our whole lives till the moment that we go to our judgment. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just one of the myriad ways that he's he's pursuing us.
1: Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful of him. It just bothers me greatly. I've been on Eucharistic miracle uh, pilgrimages and like the Shroud of Turin. I I did a tour with a group uh, back uh, several years ago. And even when you're presented with all of this evidence, right, and it's right in front of you, you can see it. You can, you know, uh, really take time to to process it. I have still been with people that have walked away and said, I'm not, not sure what I believe. You know, that to me is just heartbreaking, you know, when it's right in front of you. So I would just encourage folks to really and truly uh, dive deep and, and really believe, really, because we're at a time we need more true believers, you know. Okay, let's hear what Rachel has to say in Houston, Texas, also on Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, Rachel. Thanks for waiting and welcome. Hello. Can you hear me?
5: Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: just fine. Oh, great.
5: Um, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. I have a question. Um, when I was in the process of becoming Catholic uh, about ten years ago, I had more mystical experiences than I can name. It was um, a very dramatic time, very confusing, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it it culminated in my. Uh, joining the church, and I'm very grateful for that. But there are two that I've never understood that I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. So the first one, um, the first time I ever said a rosary, very first time in my life, I the first Hail Mary of my life, my mouth filled with honey. And I stopped praying, and it stopped. And I went and continued the the prayer, and it came back. Um, this went on for several days. The second one that I particularly confused me was one of my very first masses I was watching and the priest took, um, took the sacrament and it was the strangest thing in the world, but my mouth filled with wine and, um, it, I kind of swallowed and it went away, um, but I I kind of felt, I may have misunderstood, but I kind of felt like the Lord was saying, when the priest takes his, then um, you, you will get yours. Um, this went on for weeks and weeks while we were discerning whether to join the church. I don't understand how that can be. I had never been to confession. I... Um, I was not a Catholic. Um, yeah, I I don't know what to do with those two, and I just wondered if you had any
2: input. Sure, Rachel. Those are, you know, and thanks for being vulnerable enough to to share those. Um, so for the first one, I would just take that as an encouragement to you, you know, as a personal encouragement, as um, it, a personal miracle that, you know, probably related to you and your personality and, and the way that you kind of perceive life. So I would take that as an encouragement about the rosary. And, you know, it, these kind of things often happen at the beginning to give us a little signpost and then they go away because the information's been conveyed. Um, mm-hmm. It's not super common, but those kind of things do happen. Um, most people just don't talk about them, but they certainly, you know, again, not common, but I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, I would take mm-hmm. it as a positive thing and Take it that the rosary is meant to be a part of, a, a, you know, significant part of your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. The second one, it sounds like that was a spiritual communion because you weren't yet Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you received the gift of a physical manifestation of a spiritual communion that God was giving you. Again, I would take that as an encouragement to finish the journey that he wanted to be with you uh, in the form of of the bread and the wine in the mass. And he gave you that gift of a spiritual communion ahead of time. I guess Mm. the last thing, Rachel is, you know, uh, in general, in, in learning about Christian spirituality, these type of things are often done at the beginning of the spiritual journey, but they are often then withdrawn. Mm -hmm. So these, these are, yeah, you may have read that. So, don't focus on them, but keep them on the shelf as a thing to go back to to give you a reminder. strength mm-hmm. in times of mm. doubt or times of, of trial. Uh, but sure. don't look don't look for them to always be occurring because they' they're usually kind of a consolation at the beginning, but then the, the mature spirituality doesn't rely on consolation. and so God tries to move us to that mature kind of version of, of living right. with him.
1: Right. Excellent. Excellent answer. Uh, Adam gave you Rachel. I just want to make a couple comments on the experiences you had, um, with praying and at mass. Um, and I'm, I'm only sharing this not to, not to boast and brag, but I have to establish this so you can see how many folks that have come through my religious education program that I was, Able to be um, the head of which I was so grateful to God, but I, 25 years I've spent with um, the community, and I've seen families and kids and um, you know the elderly and everybody. And so you just thousands and thousands and thousands of folks coming through the religious education program, and plus I worked at two mega parishes which have you know um, you know thousands of families that are registered there. So Rachel. I've heard, and, and Adam is correct, and when he said this, it's it's kind of rare, these mystical encounters. However, um, they happen. And this is why they're not talked about on a regular basis because they are very personal to Rachel. They're very personal mm-hmm. for you. Now... You shared it with all of us today. That's a good thing because it allows others who may have experienced something to think that they're not going crazy or something's happening or, you know, and they, and you know, right, Rachel? So it's wonderful. But that experience, that mystical encounter, was for Rachel and was for those closest to Rachel. That is why when, when we receive or we experience a mystical experience and we go to our priest or we go to our confessor or we go to our spiritual director, one of the first things they say is, don't tell anybody. Do you know why they say that? It's not because they doubt what you're saying. It's because we don't want any people to think, well, why did Rachel get a a mystical experience and I didn't? Is Rachel, you know, holier than me? Is Rachel better? You know, because it's very personal. And that's the beauty of these mystical experiences, Rachel, is that's how God sees you, but then sees all of us. It's, it's individual each and every time. So God is, that's why you say to, say to folks, you know, if, you, if Rachel was the only person in the whole universe, the whole world ever created, would God have suffered and died again for Rachel? The answer is yes. So it's all about you, Rachel, and all about us as the body of Christ. It's so incredible how our God relates to us individually and collectively. Isn't that amazing? Now, I agree with Adam. At the beginning stages of your spiritual journey, sometimes we receive these kind of, you know, shots of encouragement and boosts and and confirmations from heaven above, and then they are taken, you know, withdrawn or taken back um so that we can advance and make our movements towards God. But here's what I would challenge you. Uh Rachel, you're married, right? Okay. Um, so I'm sure your husband is very receptive to your mystical encounters. What I would do is if you're ever feeling, um, a low point in your spiritual life or you're, you're kind of stalling out a bit or things are, share your story again with your husband. Say, pull your husband aside and said, and say, can I please share this story again with you? Why do I say that? Because stories Mm -hmm. have power. We know that and stories have m- meaning and stories will will jog that part of our of our memory that will get us um to keep going and that's that's the beauty of mystical experiences the sad part of mystical experiences is that i think sometimes they're forgotten a lot and, and we're waiting for the next one. So I don't know if any of that helps you, but I, as you can tell, I was a spiritual director for many years. So I've heard these stories. In fact, we had a, an amazing story on take two yesterday. A gentleman called up and he shared about, um, um, seeing the face of Christ and, 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 and I have heard his story many times. Of people who have gone to adoration, who have seen the face of Christ. So, any comments on what we shared, Rachel?
5: Uh, yeah, yeah, that that sounds right. Um, this was all years ago, and I actually asked for it to be withdrawn because it was a little bit overwhelming, and it was, you know, there just there was more than I could possibly tell you about. And um, so, after some weeks, I I asked. You know, okay, I get it. I'm going to join, join the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I hear you. I I thank you, but I kind of can't take it anymore. And um, and it faded out at that point, and really hasn't happened again. Which you know, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I uh, I particularly appreciate um, the bit about the Adam said about it being a physical manifestation of a spiritual communion. That's really helpful.
1: Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. thank you so much guys thank you rachel god bless you thank you for calling in and trusting us with your beautiful um journey we appreciate it very much um, also, too, Adam, Rachel jogged my memory, uh, the Stay With Me Prayer by Padre Pio. You talked about after communion and how you you just be with our Lord, right? Um, after you just it took him into your being, the Stay With Me Prayer by Padre Pio. Very powerful, folks. Okay, Rachel, we're going to try to squeeze you in a second, Rachel, from Westerly, Rhode Island on the EWTN app. Hi, Rachel. Welcome. Hi, nice to hear you. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We have to go quick. We only have two minutes. Okay.
6: Yes, yes, and I was so happy to hear the story from the other Rachel, and I too had something happen to me, but I think, I think I'm think i going to shift gears and just really um, share a way I like to view the mass that hopefully will help more people and people won't feel, like you said, it's very personal, these things. So uh, this, this is more universal, a, a thought that you could bring into the mass is to try try to view um uh, the altar as like the marriage bed and i know um from the depths of our heart the first part of that book is just really in my views totally explains kind of this mystical relationship very deeply about how christ is um our bride and the church the church is christ the bride and christ is a bridegroom and there's so many high point of the mass the consecration the great of men but for me personally and maybe other listeners could do it too um consider the cleansing of the vessels as the vessels is being cleansed think that that is how your spouse would care for you after the act of act of marriage
2: and okay, just Rachel. tenderness so so i hate to cut you off but the music is coming um, and, yeah, this touches on, as we explore this, there are myriad ways to understand the mass, myriad ways that are kind of analogies that help us. And whichever one works for you, run with that one. Uh, but do go and explore them, as Deb said. That's the part that, that we need to do in our work.
1: Okay, folks, that'll that'll do it. Until next Saturday, have a beautiful and blessed week. We'll see you real soon.